You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Listen, uh, I've always said it, but I love these guys and uh, just love their hearts. And so just to be able to have the chance to have worship like this is a beautiful thing. How you doing, Overflow? Good? How you doing? Good? Amen. If you got a Bible or a Bible app, Acts chapter 4. Let's go there. Acts chapter 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 29 in uh, just a, a couple minutes, but uh, I'm going to kind of do a summation of uh, really the first part of that chapter, but we'll kind of focus on verses 29, 30, and 31. Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully somebody around you has one. They'd love for you to look at it with them. Uh, let me just say uh, a couple things. Uh, listen, excited to be here again. Uh, since I was here last week, the Olympics started, the Winter Olympics, and can I just say, I'm like addicted to this stuff. Like, and I'm addicted to the stuff that like nobody cares about, like curling. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, thank you. Like, I got a shirt a long time ago, it's a t-shirt, and it says, curling, catch the fever. And I, I didn't even know what it was, but I like wore it all the time, and everybody thought it was cool. But just to sit there and watch these people yell at each other, no, line, 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 curl, curl. It's the most amazing. I'm just addicted to it. And the thing is, it only comes on at like 2 o'clock in the morning, right? And so like, I'm the weird dude that will not like DVR it. I have to watch it. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just become a great thing. And then you know, to have our first uh, gold by some 17-year-old kid that like, didn't even know what he was doing. I mean, like, no, no lie, I mean, the next day he's doing an interview, and I was telling Zach and them this at dinner, but he's doing an interview, and they were like, did you understand the Olympics and how big it is? And he was like, uh, I grew up watching the X Games. I never saw the Olympics. And you're kind of going, and this is the dude that represented us, but dude just nailed it. And he fell down the first three times, and on his last run, listen, I mean, that's where he got the gold medal. But they were asking him straight up, what was going through your mind when you're about to do that last run? I mean, are you like thinking gold medal? And he goes, uh, actually, I was thinking, like I had 17 of my family members come across the world to see me. I was thinking, I just don't want to fall this time. And so when you hear something like that, you're like, I'm kind of glad that's the dude that won the gold medal first, because that's the kind of guy we can relate to, the dude that like, is just there trying to do the best he can. So listen, it's been super excited, and uh, hey, I know y'all are starting to prep for like, like beach reaches coming up, yeah? Are y'all getting excited? <laughs> listen, woo, woo, that was like a double woo woo, you know what I'm saying? Like, woo, woo. Y'all are excited about that? What do y'all get to do, share your faith and stuff? Oh yeah, y'all lead people to the Lord? You're going to baptize them? Oh, hello. She's like, all the time. I mean, that, that needs to be your statement, walking down the beach. I'll get you in the water. I'll get you in the water. Dunk you down. Yeah, that'd be good. Hey, let me pray for us, and then uh, let's get into this. Lord Jesus, I ask in the next few minutes that you would allow your word to motivate us uh, to maybe do some things outside of our comfort zone. I pray that as we have a chance to live out the songs that we've sung. Lord, I pray that we would be lights in a very dark world. Because we're living in a world that, that needs Jesus so bad. I mean, everybody in this room, we need you. But in the end, I just pray that we can lift up the light of who Jesus is and, uh, and see, a, see a revival. God, I pray for a great awakening in our lifetime. So do what only you can do, and that's change us and push us toward that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, we all say, amen. Um, I've told you that I've run 19 marathons, and I haven't gotten to 20 because I broke my back a couple years ago, and I'm trying to get back in shape. Uh, but it's interesting because running marathons is an addiction. 
I mean, it's one of those things that gets in your head, and it's to the point to where when you really get into training for stuff, like, you get agitated at small things, like it raining on the day of a long run. And I remember there was this one day that it just poured down rain, and I couldn't do my long run. And that, when you get off kilter, it really messes you up. And so I ended up buying like a $6,000 treadmill to make sure that if it ever rained again, that I was going to be able to run for 20 miles. Like that, that, that's how obsessive it comes. And so I would, I talked about it for years. I mean, I was always like, man, you got to run a marathon. I would tell people that they're looking at me like, you know, you always hear the little things like only time I'm running is running away from something. Okay. (laughs) That means you're fat. But in the end, (laughs) it's the only people that say that, right? But, but, but I'm saying, I talked about it for so long, it was one of those things that got in my head, and I was like, listen, man, I, I talk about marathons all the time. And, and this is how it got, got transferred. It, what I do is life change. I mean, I'm all about life change. I mean, I, I don't leave my family at home for the hope that somebody laughs at a joke. I hope you laugh. But in the end, I, I want to see people go from death to life. I mean, I want to see people experience what it is that we're singing here. And uh, it was interesting for me because we all have those times in our life that we are changed. And it's not just salvation. I mean, no doubt, the greatest change in your life is going from death to life. Jesus Christ coming into your life, changing you forever. Uh, But we always have those moments even after that that you can look back on and say, that was the moment my life was changed forever. Uh, I've got that. I mean, it's weird, but it was like 15 years ago, I went to a place that seriously changed me forever. I mean, it was what I call the most motivating place and the most encouraging place I'd ever been in my entire life. I mean, it was interesting because I remember looking at my wife before I left and I said, I just want you to know my life's never going to be the same. She was there experiencing the same thing. I said, it's never going to be the same. And it's weird because when I look back on that as a preacher and as traveling to speak to different groups, when I say that to you, it throws me off because here's the deal. When I look back 15 years ago and I see that moment and I see the moment that changed me. I see that moment that I went to that was the most encouraging place ever that, that pushed me over to be something that I had not been until that point. Here's what's weird. The place that changed my life forever was the Music City Marathon in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, I say that to you in a funny way, but also being sad because here's the deal. I literally spend 200 days of my life in church every single year. I mean, I go from the greatest college groups in the world to the greatest churches to the greatest youth groups. And I have a chance to be in front of the most amazing spiritual things ever. And here's what's sad. By far, the most encouraging place I've ever been in my life was a marathon. I wasn't even running in it. I had a friend of mine that we were trying to lead to the Lord from California. Her name's Rochelle. And I remember her saying, hey, we're going to be in Nashville running the music marathon. Do you, do you want to come up and, and help us run? I said, I'm the last person that needs to help you run. She goes, why? I can run like 48 feet and that's it. She goes, I don't need you to run the marathon with me. I want you to pick a mile marker, pick something, and, just, and, and find it, and you run out and run your 48 feet with me. Your job is to motivate me to keep going. And so I remember my wife and I getting up there. It was the inaugural run, and there was probably 50,000 spectators. There was eight or 9,000 runners. And I remember getting out there, and when you, you get to a marathon, if you've never been to one, just go. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, you, you, you see people running, and... They're from all walks of life. You see women runners, you see men runners, you see black runners, white runners, you see skinny runners. And there's big honking runners out there too. But the weird thing is, no matter who they are, everybody on the sidelines is doing this right here. There's nobody on the sidelines going, hey man, that guy's running fast, he's going to beat everybody, I'm going to trip you. How's that feel, boy? Nobody did that. There was nobody on the sidelines seeing somebody struggle and say, hey, what's wrong with you? Did you not train hard enough? No, 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 no. 
It was the most encouraging place I'd ever been in my life because everybody wanted everybody to succeed. I remember being in that moment and I saw my friend Rochelle coming up and when I saw her coming up to me, I thought to myself, dude, I'm going to run today. I mean, people are out there. And that day, I ran five miles. Not because I could physically do it. It's because people were clapping for me. I mean, she gave me a shirt with my name on it, and every turn I would take, people were like going, go, Wade, you're the man. I was like, you're right. It just felt good to hear somebody say that for once. But then there's that point, and long-distance runners know that, there's that point in running that you know you're about to die. You know what I'm saying? And this is when you stop. And I remember stopping, and I found my wife, and I said, listen, I've got to go to the finish line. I want to see what this is like. And I remember getting out by Tennessee Titan Stadium, and as we were there, we're up in the stands, and there's five or 6,000 people, and we're clapping all these people on. And you see people who run for 26.2 miles. It's a long way to drive, much less run. Some of them running two and a half hours, some of them six and a half hours, but no matter what, you see people that literally have given everything they have. And I watched people cross the finish line they would throw up in front of everybody and somebody they didn't know would push them out of the way and say, no, you keep walking, we're going to clean that up for you. Really? I remember turning around and I saw a man who had run 26.15 miles. He was 100 yards out, popped his knee and fell in front of everybody. And we'd been doing this for an hour. We were like, hey, man, you got 5,000 people. Come on, man, you can do this. You can do there was no way that guy was going to go one more step. No way. And I saw a lady, it was crazy, who had trained six months for herself, who trained for her own race. She gets about 10 feet from the finish line. She hears all the commotion going on in the stands, and she stops before the finish line. She turns around, sees that man laying on the ground. She runs 100 yards back, picks him up, carries him across the finish line, and she didn't even know what his name was. And I remember looking at my wife that day, and I said this, Hey, honey. My life will never be the same. I want you to know there's going to be changes in my life today forever. And that day is the day I became a runner. I mean, I ended up running my first 5K, 10K, and then it wasn't about a year after that, I ran my first marathon in Dublin, Ireland. I've got like an eight-inch scar on the side of my knee to prove it to you because I overcompensated over there, got back in the States, had to have surgery, and I remember having surgery. And as soon as I got out of surgery, the, the orthopedic surgeon looked at me and said, Hey, man, surgery went great. Do you have any questions for me? I said, I've got one question. He goes, What's that? How fast before I can start running again? He looked at me and goes, You mean after all you've been through, you still want to run? And I went, Yeah. He goes, May I ask why? I said, I have to be around those people for the rest of my entire life. It's a weird thing, but I was, I was thinking through that. I thought, There's got to be something spiritual here, right? I mean, as I was obsessed with running, as I got through that moment, I thought there's got to be something that can take us and motivate us to look like that group of people. And it was interesting because I remember just in my own quiet time coming across Acts chapter 4. Here's the deal. To get up to verse 29, Peter and John, this whole chapter, their desire was to take their entire generation across the finish line. They literally said spiritually, hey, listen, we know what it's like to cross this line called life. We've gone from death to life. And we want you to know, we want you to experience what we've experienced, and we want you to cross that line. And the way they did it was, they said this statement, there's no other name to which to be saved other than that of Jesus Christ. Because they said that, they were put in jail. And the officials came to them and said this, hey guys, shh, you're being way too loud about the Jesus thing, you're causing commotion. 
here's the deal. We want to let you out of jail, but we'll let you out if you promise that you will not talk about Jesus anymore. And I love their response. How in the world can we be quiet about which we know to be true? In other words, you know what they said? Wait, you're going to let us out of jail if we say we're not going to talk about Jesus? No deal. We'll stay here. Isn't that weird? I mean, because today in the church, we're quiet about Jesus for no reason whatsoever. The weird thing is the officials, and this is what happens a lot of times when you're going against Jesus. Jesus is always bigger. They were kind of going, hey, these guys are out of their mind, right? They're not going to go back to jail. So here's the deal. We're going to let you out of jail, even though you're kind of being crazy right now. But here's the deal. If you start talking about Jesus and get loud about Jesus again, I promise you, we're going to put you right back in prison. And then all of a sudden, they go back to their prayer group, their youth group, their college group, their overflow group, whatever you want to call it. And they had a prayer, and I want to show you this. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 29, it said, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, just stop there and let's chat about that. I need to meet these dudes one time, just once. They were just told, if you get loud about Jesus, we are going to put you back in jail. So here was their first prayer when they got out of jail. Lord, could you help us speak louder about you than we ever have in our entire lives? That's exactly what, Lord, we heard their threats. They're going to put us back in prison, so let's just go for broke here, and let's just talk about Jesus as much as we possibly can. Interesting. They go a little bit further and said, stretch out your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And verse 31 is amazing. After they prayed, that place they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they walked out and spoke the word of God boldly. And overflow, hear me when I say this to you. They spoke the word of God so boldly back then and so loudly back then that a revival started back then that lasted so long. Here's what's cool. You got saved 2,000 years later. We're still talking about what these guys did. And when I saw that, here was my question. How are we going to get that? Like seriously, I mean, I want to be part of that story right there. Because if we can get a part of this, it makes a great difference. Because here's the deal. We've got books in Christianity about everything today. Hear me when I say this. And they are good books. 40 days, you can do this. Eight prayers, you can do this. Hey, dude, I want to do this. I mean, I want to be a part of that one right there. And when I saw that, I thought, what would happen if that happened here? I mean, we talked about how God's anointed this place, how God's doing great things, how God is moving in a huge way. We baptized 80 students in the last couple of semesters. God is doing huge things. You're about to go on beach reach. Woo-woo. And we're about to do that. What are we going to have to do to be like this? What are we going to have to do to get a boldness like these guys had? Because we're living in a day where so few people are the bold ones. The majority of the people at church sit back and watch what other people are doing. And the idea is, we've got to come back to a place of boldness. So let me just tell you further. What are we going to do to get a holy boldness? Because here's what I found out. You and me, we're bold about a bunch of stuff. You're bold about the football team you root for, or you're bold about whatever. But in the end, are we going to be bold? Have a holy bold. Say, Jesus, we want to be a part of this. And when we leave tonight, we want to start this. Lord, how can we get that holy boldness? So if you're taking notes, write down just a couple of thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just listen to it like this. If you want to be a part of what happened in Acts chapter 4, and you want to extend out that revival, and you want to have a holy boldness, number one, just ask for it. It's very simple. Verse 29 
was their petition, their request, their prayer request, it was what they were asking God for. In other words, they said this, Now, Lord, consider your threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, God, could you give us what we don't have or could you give us more of what we do have? But they literally are asking God to give them something that will be supernatural. And what I found out is this. If anybody that calls himself a Christian truly has Christ and you ask God for a boldness to speak about him, he's going to give it to you every single time. Every single time. And you sit back and go, well, hold on now. Listen, why would God in heaven, think about this just for two seconds. Lord Jesus, please would you give me a boldness to speak about you. Why would he look down and go, uh, no. My goal is for you to be completely disobedient. No way. But the idea is if you just ask for it, God's always going to do his job. If you're willing to put him through that and say, God, would you please give me, he's going to get, the problem is this, when we look at that statement, it seems too simple. Wait, all I got to do is ask for it? But wait, I'm not loud like you. Nobody asked you to be loud. We just asked you to be bold. There's a big difference. You, you can be mute and be bold for Christ. But there's got to be a point to where we start to understand if we're willing to ask for it, he is going to always do his job and give us that boldness to be part of this revival. And you say, but hold on, wait, but once again, dude, I mean, we've heard people ask for that. I mean, everybody in this place has probably been to a church before and you've heard people pray prayers on stage. Lord, please give me the boldness to speak about you. And you know who they are and you're going, but they're not out witnessing for Christ. Can I just say something to you? There's a big difference in praying a prayer because it sounds cool and praying a prayer because you mean it. All of us in this room have prayed prayers because they sound neat. They sound intellectual, spiritual. But if you get to the point where you get past that and you pray prayer because you truly mean it in your heart, that's when it becomes genuine and God says, let's go. But I already know what's happening because a few of you are guests and you're going, wait, you, you just said that I've prayed prayers that I haven't thought about and I don't really mean. Of course you have. No, you don't know me, but okay, let, let's do this real quick. Let's just say for fun, we get done with overflow tonight and we shoot down the street and we end up at Pizza Hut, right? I'm going to tell you how we do this. You end up at Pizza Hut, you sit down, and let's just say five of y'all get around, and you're going to like talk behind my back and sin. And so you're going to get there, and, and you're going to order a meat lover's pizza in my name because it's my favorite pizza. And you're going to sit there, and, and you're going to, and then what happens is the pizza comes, and you're ready to eat this thing. Everybody puts their thumbs up in the air, and the weird thing in Christianity, if you don't get your thumbs up, you know, the last person gets punished and has to pray. That's the weird thing. And let's just say you were the one that didn't get your thumbs up in the air, and you've got to pray. Here's what's funny. You're going to look down, and right before you, you, you bow your head, I don't know why, and right before you close your eyes, you're looking at a pizza with more fat grams than the rest of the world put together, more calories than the rest of the world put together, more grease than the rest of the world put together. But what's the nifty prayer you're going to pray that you mean with all of your heart? God, please bless this to the nourishment. Of, that's impossible. You didn't think two seconds about that prayer. You know why you said that? Because somewhere along the line, you figured out that if you say words in a prayer that have more than two syllables, they sound holy. I'm serious. Revelation. Uh, you know, but here's the deal. There was a day you used to pray it like everybody else. You know, rub it up, thanks for grubbing God. That's all you said. God is great. God is good. Let's take for food. Let's dig. You know what happened? There was a day maybe you were eight years old. And you heard somebody say, God, please bless this to the nourishment of my body, of thy body, to thy service. <laughs> and you thought to yourself, that just sounds good. That word nourishment, man. Nourishment. Oh, three syllables. 
And there was a day you thought just for the heck of it, you were eight years old and you did it in front of your mama. You're, God, pray you bless this to the nourishment of my body. And your mom went, oh, did you hear Susie pray? She said nourishment. She's holy. To the point to where you went to Thanksgiving dinner with the whole family. They were like, we're letting Susie pray. She says nourishment. And you know what I found out? That's what happens. You and I sit back. I've done it too. We hear people pray certain prayers. They sound good, the wording, and we just end up copying some prayer, and it means nothing. But I figured this out. If you pray a prayer to God with a full heart and an open heart and say, Lord, I'm not asking this because that dude speaking to me is asking me to do this. Lord, I want to be a part of this biblical revival. I'm asking you to give me a boldness to speak about you. I promise you, if you mean that prayer, he will give you a boldness guaranteed 100%. But not only do you have to ask for it, but weirdly enough, number two, the last one, then you got to act on it. Then you got to do something. It's interesting, if you look at verse 31, there's a progression. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So who shook the place? God. That's what God shakes things, right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Who fills things? God. And then what does it say? And they walked out and spoke the word of God boldly. Who's that? That's them. Notice the progression. Lord, could you please give us a boldness? God goes, uh, yeah. And then they acted on their faith. Listen, they took a step of faith. They opened their mouth and they started talking about Jesus to people. It's one thing to pray for stuff. It's another thing to be a part of talking about it. It's interesting to me because I'm all about the Second Chronicles thing. We get on our knees and we pray and we pray. You do something. But listen, you can sit around and pray for your friends to be saved all you want to. But the Bible says this in Romans. They will never be saved unless they hear the word of the Lord. I mean, you can pray for them until they end up in hell. Or at some point, you can just get bold enough and say, I prayed for you for two years. Dude, I need to talk to you about Jesus. That's the whole point of the revival. God, you do your part. Thank you, God. Now I have to do my part, and I've got to take that step, open my mouth, and I've got to start sharing Christ. I am well aware that part is what scares most of you. That part is what gets us to... Well, I mean, I'm living in fear. I don't know what to do. And people start to over-spiritualize and over-intellectualize stuff to the point to where it becomes dumb. Listen, there's a point to where you recognize it is not your job to save anybody. It's your job to tell the story. That's it. His job is the hard part. He's actually got to open their heart and save them. All you got to do is be a part of the Great Commission and say, I'm going to step out and open my mouth and say something. But I think what happens is we forget, and in today's Christianity, we've forgotten that there is a balance and an equality in reaping and sowing. It's all throughout Scripture. In other words, most people share their faith once. They give it a shot. Nobody gets saved. You don't know what to do. It was an awkward moment. And you just never go back and try again because you don't want to be in that awkward moment. Let me share something with you real quick. And it's a statistic that I want you to hear. Reaping and sowing comes together. The Bible says some will sow the seed and some will reap the seed. I had to learn some things when I was in seminary. I had a seminary professor, evangelist professor named Roy Fish. And he came to me one day and he said this, Wade, you're going to be what's known as a harvester. I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't even know what that meant. I was in seminary and didn't, never heard. What does that mean? Wade, you're going to stand in front of people, 
And you're going to give an invitation, and 40 people are going to ask Christ to come into their life. And, say, and you're going to get to see That's being a harvester. And I went, oh, man, yeah, I hope so. He goes, but I need to say something to you because it's my job to humble you before you get to that place. He was really good at humbling us. Here's what he said, and the statistic is still true today. It takes the average American, United States of America, the average American has to hear the gospel seven times before they ever come to Christ. Full on seven times. What happens is we have a few people that are going out and sharing their faith, and we sit around and say, oh, yeah, but that guy's called to be an evangelist. No, we are all called to evangelize. And everybody's got to play their part. You know why? Because we're on the same team. When we team up together, we start to see better results. And you say, what do you mean? Let's just say this. Let's just say tomorrow you decide to share your faith. What's your name? Hey, Kayla, what's up? Let's say you find somebody, and I'm going to tell you how this is going to work. You're going to be on campus tomorrow or something like that, and you're going to share your faith with somebody, and they're going to look at you like you have a horn coming out of your head. They're going to say, who are you? Why are you even talking to me? That's the look you're going to get. You're going to come in contact with the same person she witnessed to, and you're going to say, I'm going to give it a shot too. They're still going to look at you a little bit and go, okay, you're weird too. Then you're going to do it, and they're going to go, why is everybody witnessing to me about Christ? Then all of a sudden, the look's going to change on the fourth person, and they're going to go, what is it with this whole Jesus thing? And then the next thing you know, a month later, you're going to share, and then a month later, you're going to share. And here's what's weird. When you come in contact with that person and you share Christ, their eyes unlock. You can watch it happen, and they say, I want that, and you get a chance to lead that person to the Lord. That's awesome. Just so you know, just so you know, all of their jobs was important for you to reap that. All of you had to work together. You see, I go to a lot of churches where they want to see a revival and a bunch of people saved. And a lot of times I'll walk out and you can hear the mumblings of the people. I wonder why we didn't see more people saved. You know what I want to say? Because I was number three in your city. Y'all haven't done anything to share your faith. Because when we all work together and we see the equality in reaping and sowing, you know what you find out? We all share in the excitement of what she went through, and we are all excited. Because the next thing you know, when you start to do it again, then you get to lead her to the Lord. It's a weird thing that this fear is going on. I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to hear me wrong. But inevitably, everywhere I go, it's happened here about three times out of the eight times I've been here. I always, everywhere I go, have a girl or a woman... When I say woman, college age, because y'all are still girls to me. I know that sounds weird. They will always come up to me, at least one of them, and say this. Hey, Wade, thank you for being here tonight. Will you please pray for my daddy? My daddy doesn't know Jesus. Every single place I go happens. And I have the same conversation every single time. I look at them and say, hey, listen, we're going to pray for your dad right now out loud. But before we do, can I ask you a question? And they always go, what? Have you ever shared your faith? with your dad. And I've gotten the same answer for 20 years. No, 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 no. Wait, you don't understand my dad. He would never, ever listen to me. Really? Like that's your excuse? That's actually what you think, isn't it? Let me say something to this as a dad. My daughters are 15 and 11, and I'm doing the best I can to show them Christ. But let's just shoot straight with each other. I don't know what they're going to believe when they're 19. I don't know what kind of junk they're going to get into when they're 19. But I'm going to say this to you. If either one of my daughters comes to me with tears in their eyes and says, Daddy, would you please listen to me for the next five minutes? 
I may not believe one word that comes out of their mouth, but I'm going to listen to every word. You know why? Because they're my daughters. They have earned the right to be heard by me. And do you know what I found out? Do you know why we're not seeing more people come to Christ? Because we live evangelism by saying this. Come here, Wade and Zach speak, and I promise you're going to hear the gospel. You know what's weird? Some of your friends don't want to hear Wade or Zach. They want to hear you. And you know why? And I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to say, none of us are perfect in this room, but some of you are truly giving the gospel a shot. You're not perfect, but you're truly living a life of integrity. Dude, it's that kind of mentality that people listen to. I remember when I was a youth minister, I used to always have one of my students stand up and give their testimony. And it was always the quietest time in the room. I was the speaker, and I wanted them to listen to me. But when their friends from school got up to share how they came to Christ, everybody got silent. Why? Because they see those people every single day. They want to know their story. And if sometimes you can start to rise up somehow, some way, rise up and recognize that God has empowered you and you become part of this story and you act on your faith and say, you know what, I'm going to not wait for them to do it. I'm going to start sharing my faith right now and you act on it. I promise you, beautiful things can happen. But you've got to be willing to be part of Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they walked out and spoke the word of God boldly. And I'm not saying you're always going to see people come to Christ, but I can say this. If you don't start speaking boldly, you never will. Silence is never an option for a Christian. The whole point of this is to be able to share the light of who Christ is. And we're getting to a day where we've made so many excuses on why we do it, why we don't do it. And I hear people, you know, I've seen the books out. There's a book out that says, How to Share Your Faith and Not Have Fear. What, what are you talking about? Not be fear. How to share your faith and not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? You're introducing them to the Savior of the world? I mean, could you imagine me? I talk about my wife when I'm here. Hey, by the way, here's my wife. Her name is Deborah. I've talked about her. Kind of embarrassed, so please go sit back down. You would look at me and say, we don't ever want that guy to come speak again. He's embarrassed of his wife. He's ashamed of his own wife. Are you kidding me? No, you know what I'm going to say? My wife is smarter than me, more spiritual than me. She needs to be speaking instead of me. That's what it means when you understand somebody. You get to the place that you, you, Start opening your mouth and sharing the gospel and acting on your faith. And I'm telling you, you can look. Paul says it in Romans. You will never have a full understanding of the gospel unless you're sharing your faith. That's interesting. Some of you have been to step one. You've prayed and received Christ. You did step two. You got baptized and you're going, hmm, what's next? Share your faith. Share what Jesus has done in you. It's your profession. And it makes a difference. Let me end it like this. It's probably the shortest sermon I've done here, right? You're going, what in the world? I'll end it like this. Um, Acts 4.31, this is when it became real to me. When I was in college, I was a youth minister and was the worst youth minister on the face of the earth. When I say that, I, didn't, I, didn't, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I really didn't know back then. I didn't get saved until I was 13. I'm 19. I'm a youth minister at a church. And all I knew to do was like open the Bible, talk about it, and give an invitation. That's all I knew to do. And I remember one time I was in church. I was sitting in the front row. We had a pastor who was 72 years old. 
He was old, but the dude had a passion for Jesus, man. And I would sit there and listen to him, and I was so mesmerized by him. And I remember one day, as a 19-year-old, I turned around and started to look at the church. I just looked at people. And I figured out, they looked so bored out of their mind, I figured out, wait, I'm a youth pastor in a country club church. Like, literally, it's just a country club with a steeple. Like, people just think to themselves, if I just give God an hour and a half a week, I'm good. And it bothered me. I was young, didn't know what I was doing, so I was given the prayer at the end of the service, and I said, hey, if any of my students are here, uh, hey, before you leave, I want to meet you on the foyer over there in that corner over there. And maybe 50 of them were there, and they gathered in a corner, and I looked at them and said this, uh, it's not okay for you to come to church the rest of your life, sit there and do nothing. It's not okay to do that. I said, the Bible tells us to be part of a great commission. It's not the pretty good commission. It's great. So listen, I'm going to teach you how to share your faith. Because I want to see revival. I want to see some stuff happen. I want to see some life change. So here's the deal. For the next five weeks, y'all come on Sunday afternoon. Give me your time. And I'm going to teach you one by one how to share your faith. It was interesting because I see them looking at me like this. And I don't play spiritual Olympics. I know a lot of churches do that. And, you know, if you have 98% Sunday school attendance, you are allowed to go on a mission trip. That drives me nuts. Here's what I said. I don't think less of you if you don't come to this class. If you got a job and can't come, doesn't mean you're not spiritual. But if you come to this class for, four, for five weeks, on the sixth week, our church was two miles from the Galleria Mall in Birmingham, Alabama. I said, on the sixth week, on Friday night, we're going to eat in the food court, and we are going to cold turkey share Jesus with people we've never seen before. It's interesting. I love student ministry for a couple of reasons. Number one, students, meaning you, have an audacity that I love. But number two, you usually don't listen, and it's beautiful sometimes. It's just funny. But when you get to the younger age, it's really bad. And I remember I taught this class with a passion. The Bible says to do this. The Bible says to do this. And finally I go, all right, that's it. Friday night's the night. Literally 60 people in the room. For what? <laughs> We're going to the Galleria. Why? We're going to share our faith. Huh? I go, listen, I'm not playing this game. If you're a senior high, whatever you need to encourage you, I'll meet you in the food court. You need to bring your dog, your aunt, some necklace. I don't care what it is. Come. If you're junior high, be here. Church van. I will fill it up, and we will shoot down there. 7 o'clock, we gather together in the food court, and we're eating. And, of course, because we're going to witness, we're eating, like, Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just feels better, right? I'm just saying it feels better. It's Friday night. They're open. And here's the deal. There were some of my students that wanted to eat all night long. Like, let's just eat until it closes and we can go. And I finally said, hey, we got to put an end to this. we got to go do this thing. And I started to pray. And here, just so, just so you don't think my students were all scared, the junior high and high school students, but half of my kids would have witnessed to the escalator at this point. Dude, I, was, I had them so pumped about doing this. That, I, mean, I started to pray, and they were like, forget the prayer. I'm out. They, they, they started going. I was like, yeah. When I got done praying, the other half of the group that was looking at me like this, I looked at him and I went, you're scared, right? Yeah. I looked at him and I said this. Hey, dude, just so you know, I can relate to you. See, people look at me sometimes. Oh, man, I bet that guy's so bold. He'd share faith. Listen, I, I get sometimes where it can be tough. So I looked at him and said this. Here's what I want you to do. Follow me for a little bit. There is an art to evangelism. And I'm being serious when I say there's an art to it. The art of it is 
you learn how to transition a conversation from the world to God. You have to open up somewhere, but evangelism is never effective when you go, guess what? <laughs> You're going to hell. Okay, that's not the best way to go about it. I'm not saying it can't work. It just usually doesn't. So I told them, I said, watch me, and when you learn. And so it was just stuff like, you know, I mean, you, you talk to some, I, I'm the guy that can talk about sports till I'm blue in the face. I mean, I got up and talked about the Olympics. I had nothing to do with sermon, just because I want to talk about the Olympics. But inevitably, if I could sit down with you out here, and we were just talking about Red Gerard, the guy that won the gold medal, I would look at you and say, hey, has anybody read? Is that guy a Christian? Why would I go there? Well, that's who I am. That's what I'm interested in. But notice how quickly I changed from the gold medal to talking about Christianity, from the world to God. There's an art to it. What happened is the audacity of these students, I had 16-year-olds looking at me going, that's all you got to do? I can do that. And they just started to walk away. I was like, I love it. <laughs> 30 minutes later, I'm sharing my faith with somebody. I get done, and I turn around, and little Russ is standing behind me. 13-year-old Russ was physically shaking. And I looked at him and I go, bro, what's wrong? He goes, brother Wade. <laughs> I just can't do it. Now listen, this is the only person in my life that's ever called me brother Wade. <laughs> when you're nervous spiritually, you brother Zach. You know, and I looked at this kid and I mean like, brother Wade, I just can't do it. And I looked at him and I went, Russ, sure you can, man. Trust me, man. I said, listen, I'm your brother. You've been here for five weeks. You know how to do it. You can do it. I, I just can't do it. I looked at him and I went, yes, you can. It's like, bro, you're 13 and about to have a heart attack. Relax, man. Just relax. It's not that big of a deal. And he kept on. I just can't do it. I said, dude, I'm going to motivate you. To get, you can do it. And finally, he changed part of the phrase. And this is why I'm not a youth minister. It's why I travel. He looked at me. Instead of saying, I can't do it, he said, I'm not going to do it. I don't work well with that. You're telling me to my face you're going to be disobedient? I've got an issue. So I looked at this 13-year-old kid. I'm, I'm just saying, you got to understand, I was 19. I didn't know what I was doing. I looked at this kid and I went, what did you just say to me? He goes, I said, I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. He goes, no, I'm not. Uh, do I look like your mother? He goes, what? What are you talking about? Dude, I'm not the guy that grounds you for a week and lets you off for good behavior three days later. That's most of y'all's problem. You know what I said? You remember five weeks ago, I said, you don't have to come to this class. I will love you no matter what. But if you do come, I'm going to make you share your faith. He goes, uh-huh. Judgment day is right now. <laughs> Dude, you're going to share your faith. He goes, no, I'm not. Do you see that van out there that says Green Valley Baptist Church? Uh-huh. You will not be on it tonight. It will give me joy to leave you in the mall tonight. Now understand, okay, first of all, there's two things going on because y'all are looking at me like, What? I mean, you're, half of y'all are like going, you're kind of mean. <laughs> I'm either really mean or I love this kid enough to push him to the truth. We don't push people to the truth anymore. And I looked at this kid and I said this, bro, listen. If you got to make up a new way to witness, you better figure it out in the next 10 minutes. And I saw Russ started to walk around. And I could see him thinking. I taught them different things to do in evangelism. I'll be glad to talk with y'all about it at some point. But I'm talking to... And I see him, I taught him how to have a radar. When y'all go to Beach Reach, do me a favor. Don't just randomly walk up to people. This is a relationship. When I say that, 
I know there's a thousand people on the beach, but it's not about randomly going up. I taught my students, it's a radar. God, who is it you're asking me to speak to? Lord, can you guide me to this person? What happens is eventually it's like, oh, it's you. I'm the only one who knows it. You don't know it. But then I start, hey, God, can you help me open this conversation? God, will you give me the depth to do this? God, could you give me the strength to do this? And then you go in. It's like, you know, half pipe, boom, dropping in right there. And I see him zoning in, and I saw him go, boop, 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 and I saw it. I'm 50 feet away from him watching him, and he goes over, and he sits on a bench in the middle of the mall. And he sits next to, like, this 80-year-old man. Now, hear me when I say this. 80-year-old people need Jesus. But I need this kid to have a good experience because I know it. You have a bad experience here in your faith the first time, boom, you're out forever. And I'm like, Russ, no, 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 no. And he's trying to get this old man's attention. He's like, uh, hello? Um, bah? You know, it's kind of nudging him. <laughs> and I don't know if the dude is asleep. He could be dead, let's be honest. <laughs> but that dude is not moving. And I saw Russ thought, well, I mean, I gave it the old college try. And he stood up to walk off. And I looked at him. And I'm 50 feet away. And when he stood up to walk off, he caught my eye and I went, sit back down. <laughs> You're going to finish this. Yes, you are. I will punch you. Sit down. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be honest. I actually did that. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. It was just my first response. This kid, 50 feet away, got so scared. He was like... And he started to like, you could see him thinking, and here's the deal. He made up a new way to witness. I don't think I've ever been blessed since this day. I saw this kid trying to figure it out. He's done every trick he could, and finally, all of a sudden, I saw him reach into his back pocket. And here's the deal. Most of y'all don't know this, but I told my students, and this is just a little prop here. We had these tracks. They used to be like little Bible tracks, little gospel tracks. And it was called Steps to Peace with God by Billy Graham. And what I told my students was this, because they were young. I said, dude, if you're so nervous, then, then open this book and read it. It's the gospel. But my hope is that one day you graduate in your faith enough to look somebody in the face and say, can I tell you the greatest story in the face of this earth? Can I tell you what's changed my life? See, that's what relates to people. But if you're so nervous, here it is. I see this guy reach in, and he pulls out this little track. And this is what he did. He threw it under the old man's feet. He taps the old man on the shoulder and goes, excuse me, sir, is that yours? <laughs> Listen, the man woke up. The man looked at him and goes, no, son, it's not mine. He goes, I wonder what that is. <laughs> he reaches down and he starts to talk out loud. Now he's nervous, but he's like, steps to peace with God by Billy Graham. The Bible says you're a sinner. <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> but Jesus came so that you could have life. Listen, the problem is he didn't understand how loud he was talking. <laughs> no, I'm being serious, man. I'm 50 feet away watching him, and people are coming around me going, like, what's going on? Listen, half of me is like, that's my boy. <laughs> the other half, I don't know who that freak kid is. I mean, I don't know what, I'm kind of in a weird spot. And he read the entire thing and you can have Jesus you can pray this prayer and he got to the end and, and, uh, very, and Jesus name amen and it was almost like a bad movie script as soon as this little 13 year old kid said amen this old man stood up and looked at Russ with disgust he started shaking his head at him like this 
rolled his eyes, and he started to walk off, and I saw Rush start to shake again, and it freaked me out for a second. He took the track, and he threw it at the old man, <laughs> and he screamed out, you better take this, because you're going to need this one day. Now, I want you to feel my heart for a second, because I'm 50 feet away, and I'm watching this go down before me, and in my mind, I'm dead serious, I'm 19 years old thinking, I brought my students to share their faith, and he assaulted a senior citizen. Like, how do I justify that? And the next thing I know, little Russ comes over to me, and he's still kind of shaking a little bit. And he goes, Brother Wade. <laughs> he goes, Brother Wade, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't do it. And I looked at him and went, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Yeah, you did. He looked at me and goes, what do you mean? I said, listen, Russ, I've told you this before. I'm going to say it again. I hope one day you can be so confident in your faith and so unashamed of the gospel that you look somebody in the face and say, I'm going to tell you the greatest story that's going to change your life forever. But until you get there, I want you to know something. You did something today that the majority of people in America that call themselves Christians will never do until they die. He goes, what's that? You shared your faith out loud. I said, I want you to know I'm proud of you. And in that moment, I didn't know a world changer was being created. It was Sunday morning. We're a church where the pastor comes down and receives people for invitation. Old school. And I'm standing right here, and I see little Russ come down the aisle. And I'm thinking, isn't that just like God? I make this kid witness. He realizes he needs Jesus. He's going to get saved. And he's that little awkward boy. That I walk over, and, you know, the choir is singing. And I was like, hey, Russ, what do you want? I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the pastor. <laughs> I go, okay. And he started to walk toward the pastor. And in my mind, I thought, wait, wait. You just threw something to the other old man. So, like, you know, my pastor's 72. I literally walked and stood in between he and my pastor. And I was like, bro, music's going on. Pastor looks down. Russ goes, Russ, what do you want? I, I don't want anything. Pastor looks at me like, what's going on? I was like, it's 13, man. He looks at me and says, Russ, what do you want? I don't want anything. He looks at me again, the pastor. I go, I go Russ, what are you doing down here, man? He says, well, pastor, I don't want anything, but I've got a question for you. And the pastor goes, what's that? Do you know that you know that you know that if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, that sounds cool, but in my mind, I was thinking, mm, yes, he's the pastor. <laughs> but you know what I've learned since then? This little kid wasn't willing for his pastor to slip through the cracks. In case you don't know, I've seen pastors saved. I did a youth camp one time and saw eight youth ministers give their life to Christ. You never know when it's going to happen in somebody's life. It was six months later that I left that church and started doing what I do. Moved out to southwestern Fort Worth and lost contact with most of those students. Kept in contact with some of their parents. Russ's parents I did because I knew them well. And I followed him to the point to where he got out of college and he's in the sports industry now and it was interesting because I think it was about 12 years after that moment. I was doing a Thanksgiving Day morning run. By the way, it's beautiful to do a run before you eat. It was a 10K. It was 22 degrees. I mean, when it's that, that bad, I mean, this is when your sweat starts to turn to ice. So when you get done, 
you, you literally start to freeze up. And I remember finishing this race, and I was running to my car after the race. And I remember getting to my car, and no lie, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I opened my car door, I started to get in, and I heard behind me, hey, Brother Wade. And I knew who it was. I mean, nobody's ever called me that. And I turned around, and little Russ is now like big Russ. And he looked at me, and he goes, hey, man, it's so good to see you. I said, bro, it's good to see you, too. I said, listen, I, I know you graduated last year from college. I think that's awesome, man. I, I know your mom's been to the hospital. I went to go see her, and... Man, I, I hear you're doing really good, dude. I think that's awesome. He goes, yeah, man, I get on your website and I pray for your ministry and stuff. And I said, man, I appreciate that, dude. And I said, listen, it's Thanksgiving Day and we need to be with our families and it's really cold outside. But just know this, after all these years, I'm glad to connect with you. And he goes, yeah, me too, man. And I remember getting in the car, cranked it, turned the heat up as quick as I could. And he knocked on the window. And I rolled the window down and he was just looking at me. And I go, Russ, what do you want? He looked at me and goes, I don't want anything. I go, what are you doing here? He goes, wait, I don't want anything, but I have a question for you. I go, what's that? Do you know that you know that you know that if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I thought 12 years later, this kid is still not getting over doing the truth instead of reading it. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they walked out and they spoke the word of God boldly. That is my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Because I want to be part of this. For us to take our generation across this spiritual finish line, is what it's all about. And my hope is we see some of that tonight. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.